Chapter Twelve of The Real Oscar Wilde by Robert Sherard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In De Profundis, Oscar Wilde states that one of the two turning points of his life was when his father sent him to Oxford. If that book had been published during his lifetime, I should have asked him to enlarge on this statement. My own opinion was that the phrase was written because it was an effective one and facilitated an antithesis of which victor hugo would have been proud oscar wilde has declared that when he wrote a book he was concerned entirely with literature that is with art he rarely thought that anything that he wrote was true indeed he might say never not true in the actual sense of the word i think that this applies to much in de profundis this antithesis amongst other things i have known hundreds of oxford men and i never saw one on whom oxford had left less of its unmistakable mark than oscar wilde if i had had to guess at which university he had received his final education i should have said cambridge oxford bestows a certain manner the oxford manner not too agreeable which was entirely absent from wilde's demeanour the average honours man is pedagogic not to say pedantic and was there ever a man of such universal knowledge as oscar wilde who less obtruded his superior sapience cambridge men are at least more modest perhaps because of the lower rank that their university holds in the public estimation i don't see that oxford gave him anything had anything to give him he went there after sweeping all before him at trinity dublin as a business proposition he preferred to go to Oxford where better things are to be won, is what is recorded on College Green of the reasons why he left Trinity. He had little to learn at Oxford, and he certainly did not read there much more than he read at Trinity. Quote, he was not a reading man and was rarely seen at his books. Unquote. The more I think of it, the more I wonder what he did mean in the statement I have quoted. It certainly was not Oxford that made a poet of him, his aestheticism must have developed there in spite of every antagonistic influence in those days at any rate oxford was the high metropolis of british philistinism it was the same university which had expelled shelley and had bestowed high honours and plump prebends on dr warren it has been a lethal chamber for the poets with such few exceptions as for instance matthew arnold william wordsworth jr george nathaniel curzon sir Reynold rod and ernest dowson it is true that ravenna the protoplasm of most of wilde's verse was written there but it was conceived elsewhere and the only credit that oxford can claim from that fine poem is that it was probably evoked by the strong contrast between the mouldiness of his life and the damp mist of its meadows and the glorious subsisting vitality of the sun-bathed italian city which dante alighieri elected for his eternal repose one thousand years after the empress galla placidia had been laid to rest there contrast is the active stimulus to literary production walter raleigh describes the pulsing activity of the world's history in some little ease of the tower of london bunyan surrounded by thieves and outcasts in bedford jail evolves a saintly progress 
oscar wilde writes de profundis in reading jail we give in these pages a portrait of oscar wilde taken when he was an undergraduate and it may fairly be asked if there is anything in the man's appearance as shown in that picture to warrant the stories that have been told of his posturing eccentricities there here is the typical undergraduate in the typical oxford lounge suit with nothing except his fine head to distinguish him from the other undergraduates in the group i think that all the stories we have since heard about his conduct there and the unpopularity which it aroused have been invented for the needs of a very sorry cause it is not denied that in his beautiful rooms in magdalen he had some blue china but it is improbable indeed he denied it to me that he ever said that he was trying to live up to it and no doubt there were many other young men of taste who had such porcelain ornaments in their rooms i was up at oxford not many years after oscar wilde had gone down there was certainly no talk about him he had left behind him no legend i never heard his name mentioned one single time as regards any evil rumour connected with his name there was none there was a good deal of talk far too much to my liking about what has since been described as the greek movement but other names than his were associated with it and then we have alfred douglas's invaluable testimony as to the position which oscar wilde held in the estimation of the president of his college this silence seems to me all the more remarkable to-day since ravenna has taken its right place in undergraduate verse this poem had been recited at the sheldonian theatre just two years before i went up and as amongst the non-sporting friends whom i had at the university were several poets john barlas amongst others who were postulant newdigate prizemen one would have fancied that wilde's name at least as a poet would have come up in our interminable discussions but i never heard it mentioned and indeed the first time that i did hear of him as a poet or at all was in a letter which i received in naples from another newdigate poet whom has since come to very high honours in the diplomatic service no wilde was not a centre of corruption at magdalen or in oxford he seems to have passed through the university without attracting much attention to himself except in the schools and can have exercised no influence on his contemporaries he was not well off his father could not largely supplement his scholarship and in oxford in those days at least the amount of a man's income went a long way towards deciding his popularity what's he got would be asked in magdalen as readily as in mayfair and wilde had got very little this kind of snobbishness was certainly noticed at the time when i was at oxford i remember for instance that an offensive name used to be given to the young men who having passed the indian civil service examination were sent to oxford at the government's expense and that simply because they were being financially assisted i understand that some similar feeling exists towards the rhodes scholars nowadays and for the same unworthy reason wilde seems to have gone through oxford much as he went through trinity that is to say without drawing any particular attention to himself or leading anybody to suppose that here was a man of genius in my life of wilde i record some remarks made to me by one of his contemporaries at the university of dublin Quote, 
he left this college with the very highest character unquote. as regards scholarship he was considered quote, an average sort of man unquote. as regards aesthetic tendencies nothing was remembered of him except that he was always fond of fine editions of books this taste he afterwards lost he cared little about books when i knew him and what money he had to spend certainly did not go to the bookseller i can only recall one occasion on which he bought a valuable first edition and that was the copy of the life of gerard de Nerval, of which i have spoken and which he bought to give to me i remember giving him once a very rare copy of the maxims of the duc de la rochefoucauld a writer for whom in those charles street days he expressed some admiration he never looked at the book and attached no value to it beyond the fact that i noticed that as usual a piece had been torn out of the back page to be rolled into a pellet and put into his mouth i might have fancied that it had never been in his hands at all when i last saw it it was lying open amongst a lot of rubbish at the bottom of a cupboard in the charles street sitting-room when he was in america he gave his imprimatur to a most extraordinary specimen of publishing bad taste this was a volume of poems produced in england by a former friend of his for which he had been asked to find an american publisher the poems were very beautiful ones but the american edition was the most hideous production that has ever left the printing press the poems were printed on transparent paper with coloured sheets behind each page and an extraordinary collection of blocks had been used to decorate the pages under a beautiful poem in which occurred the words about a swallow that quote, she took the sunset on her wings and flew unquote, there was the picture of a flat candlestick from a block borrowed from some ironmonger's catalogue in the picture of dorian gray there are several pages of bibliophily which would seem to indicate a knowledge of the subject but these pages degage an odour if not of the lamp at least of the british museum as a matter of fact for these pages as for his descriptions of jewels laces garments and other collectania which dorian studied wilde availed himself of booksellers and antiquarians catalogues in doing which he was merely following the example of victor hugo who made a habit of collecting every trade circular that came his way even accepting the leaflets offered to him in the streets and systematically filing these for future reference and use where it was necessary to display technical knowledge in this way he also acquired a reputation for omniscience in one way indeed his life at oxford may be said to have influenced his character it raised to acuteness his interest in greece and italy and sent him wandering there during his vacations here and there he seems to have steeped himself in the life of bygone days and so was induced into that chronological error of which henri de Regnier speaks where he says quote, mr wilde thought himself living in italy at the time of the renaissance or in greece in the days of socrates he was punished for a chronological error and severely it is recorded of him that he rode a good deal while at oxford but that he never hunted with regard to hunting for which there are splendid facilities at oxford it will be remembered with what contempt he speaks somewhere in his plays of the sport 
the unspeakable in chase of the uneatable he never rode during the time i knew him and never spoke of horses except to insist on the fact that under no conditions would he be driven in a cab with a white horse because he considered that most unlucky i have often wondered what was the colour of the horse that took him in the company of inspector richards and sergeant allen from the cadogan hotel to scotland yard on the day of his arrest fifth april eighteen ninety five i did ask him later on but he said that he had been too much interested to notice he seems to have spent his time during that drive chatting with the two detectives on all manner of topics and left them the impression that he was a very amiable gentleman and quote, as clever as they make them unquote. wilde also got on well with the minor myrmidons of the law and had a very high opinion of them after he had bailed poor barlas out of westminster police court after his revolver practice quote, to show his contempt for the houses of parliament unquote, on westminster bridge he could not speak too highly of the way the policemen and the warders spoke to and acted towards the prisoners under their charge they show them nothing of the contempt which the honest man is supposed to feel for the criminal the feeling is that most people are liable at one time or another to get into trouble and that these just happen to be in that position and with the instinctive anarchy which lies at the bottom of the hearts of most men i rather suspect some sympathy with the law-breakers as against the administrators of the law and if for the prison officials under whom he served his sentence he had little respect it will be remembered how he speaks of chaplains and doctors in the ballad of reading jail he seems to have liked and to have been liked by the warders i remember that whenever i went to see him either at wandsworth or at reading every warder i came into contact with seemed to take a special interest in me when they knew who it was i had come to visit were courteous and amiable and made things as easy for me as possible possibly in some ways this may have been because wilde was considered a show prisoner a prisoner of mark a criminal of universal reputation but generally speaking there was a decided manifestation of sympathy towards him i remember one warder at wandsworth who refused a tip from me for some special trouble he had taken on my behalf with the words that he had done nothing to earn it and was very sorry that he could do nothing for my friend who was quote, the finest gentleman we have ever had inside these walls unquote. this incident occurred very shortly after i had received a letter from one of his friends who reproached me with not conveying messages from him to the prisoner i had written to tell him that i considered it imprudent to mention his name in any conversations with wilde for such conversations if not listened to by the prison authorities were certainly heard by the warder in attendance and that any reference to him might get round to the home office and further jeopardise oscar's position he wrote back to say that quote, the warder was not everybody unquote, that no doubt a sovereign from me would make matters all right and that such had been his experience at holloway there is further to be noted in this connection that the special offences which were charged against wilde seem not to arouse amongst the classes to which warders and policemen belong the horror with which they are considered by the higher ranks of british society ever since 
owing to the wild scandals and the subsequent litigation in which lord alfred douglas has been involved my attention has been to my extreme distaste drawn to these wretched matters i have found amongst the people a tendency to discover a source of humour aristophanean of course in these aberrations which their votaries endeavour to poetise i have been in the old bailey and in the law courts when these subjects have been under discussion and have always noticed on the part of the plebs neither disgust nor dismay nor indignation but hilarity and amusement mingled perhaps with contemptuous pity and my own opinion is that the crasser minerva of the people rightly inspires them in this matter one feels very sorry for the folk many of them very delightful persons who suffer from these aberrations but one cannot withhold a certain amount of contempt because every man who is not a proclaimed lunatic ought to be able to control himself but one's main impulse is to laugh perhaps as beaumarchais said so as not to be forced to weep oscar wilde left oxford with the very highest character just as he had left portora and trinity if there had been the slightest suspicion of anything wrong against him one may be sure that we should have heard of it at the queensbury trial but nothing was heard because there was nothing and the stories of his effeminacy at oxford and the indignation provoked thereby amongst the undergraduates which one has since heard were invented pour les besoins de la cause i remember that when i went up there was a story told of how some man at magdalen who went in for aesthetic posturings had been ragged by his fellow students but this man was not a friend of wilde and had made himself objectionable in other ways besides wearing his hair long and sporting sage-green ties men are always being ragged at oxford but that does not imply that they are offenders against morality it is quite possible that a wilful confusion has been created between the man i am referring to and oscar wilde who had nothing whatever in common with him wilde seems to have had a happy time at the varsity he always maintained a great affection for his alma mater and the fact of having been at oxford was ever a man's best passport to his respect and friendship and anarchist as he was in his heart he appreciated the social advantages which are derived in england from having been educated at a public school and at the university he told me shortly before his disaster that it was his intention to send both his sons to eton and to the house and added that he considered that indispensable for their future welfare that was always my intention he said though before my plays succeeded i used to wonder how i should manage it now grâce à dieu it will be an easy matter of course eton would have been impossible for them after the debacle in england more than anywhere else the sins of the fathers must be paid for by the aftercomers it is recorded that at the time of wilde's downfall his two boys were at a private school kept of course by a reverend gentleman professor of christianity this gentleman felt that in justice to his school which was a pepiniere for eton and other public schools for their own sakes of course he thought it better for the two boys to be removed it would be so very unpleasant for them to remain there after what had happened of these lads cyril the elder 
whom i only saw once as a baby in arms has joined our band of heroes in immortality he fell footnote ninth may nineteen fifteen aged twenty nine fighting for the country which had martyred his father in the field of flanders the other brother vivian holland is as i write at the front in the r f a he was educated at stonyhurst and went thence to trinity hall cambridge in coming down he was called to the bar but when the war broke out he applied for a commission in the r f a i only saw him during the trials in which robert ross was involved and i remember the touching tribute in the witness-box at the old bailey he paid to his father's friend who he said had been a second father to him and his brother End of chapter twelve